this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome back to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host d sampath this is part 2 of a deep dive podcast into the electricity amendment bill 2022 where we decode and demystify the implications of its various proposed amendments in part 1 of this podcast with energy economist dr sudha mahalingam we try to bring you a historical perspective on power sector reforms starting from the 1990s and we also looked at each of the proposed amendments in the electricity amendment bill 2022 in this particular episode we take a closer look at why state owned power distribution companies or discoms are purposely loss making is it purely because they are inefficient and riddled with corruption or have they been set up for failure thanks to an irrational regulatory framework unrealistic expectations and what would a sustainable and fair model of privatization that doesn't encroach on state government's sovereignty look like joining us once again is dr sudha mahalingam welcome back sudha to the in focus podcast I was quite fascinated by what you were talking about in terms of this muster and the solar uh, power plants and how the state discoms have to compulsorily buy ten percent from them and then uh, pay for idling uh, thermal power plant. This seems like the state discoms are being set up for failure. Absolutely, Sampath. You know, I think not just ten percent. If the solar sun is shining, even if it is ninety percent, hundred percent of my requirement uh, is being met by solar, I must take that power. Which means I back down all the thermal. I've got thirty-year power purchase agreements as a state discom. Bestcom has got thirty-year power purchase agreements with NTPC. It has with private um, suppliers. It has with um, its own KPCL. Now I have to back down all those plants because my entire need is being taken care of by solar because the sun is shining. Very good. You are very clean, green power. But then they are backed down. They are not shut down, and they have to spring back to life in the evening. What happens when you uh, stop and start again and again? Any the coal-based power plant, you need much more coal to produce the same unit of power. their efficiency goes down so the start stop uh, you know is not a good idea these are called base load plants they have to run continuously but because of the mustern policy they are being backed down and every state is paying idle charges for backing down because it's a two part tariff policy which we introduced in 92 where just for setting up a plant you pay a fixed cost and every time you generate power you pay variable cost according to the fuel and fuel used and some ondm expenses so this two part tariff policy binds you to pay idling charges while you are generating green power during the day you are still paying idling charges for thermal power plants back down this is a very dangerous situation we are in and it's it's very nice to go out and say look we are producing green power we are using solar power and all that solar is not cheap as i told you uh, maximum is 10.75 per kilowatt hour coal maybe 4 rupees 3 rupees 5 rupees so it's expensive power we are buying and paying for idling charges you are actually setting up discounts as you rightly pointed out for failure that is what this bill proposes to do and we've been doing that for quite some time now with this mustern policy 
I mean, whenever one brings up uh, this entire power sector reforms and, you know, this electricity bill, the first thing which uh, people say is that, oh, state discounts are inefficient. I mean, this entire bogey of inefficiency, that seems like something which sort of covers up the reality, which is that you've got all these rules like the idling charges and these PPAs, which go back 30 years. Now, there is no way uh, you can expect them to make a profit and then you turn around and say they're inefficient. I don't really see how that reflects the reality. See, you know, I must say that the state uh, discounts have not been terribly efficient, but because of your recent policies, you've sort of driven them to ruin. You know, you now they can't even get up and come. Four bailouts have uh, already been given. Now you're going to give a fifth bailout of four uh, lakh crores. You've already uh, set aside four lakh crores to bail out these discounts. Whatever you do, you can't bail them out because the way the policies have been designed the discounts will go into further ruin. The other thing is, you know, you set up a regulatory body thinking that an independent regulator will depoliticize decision making. Now, as long as the discounts are owned by the government, the discounts now have two masters. One is the owner, the government, and the other one is a regulator. You know, the regulator is generally considered a creature of the government. So in terms of legitimacy, the regulator is lower in the hierarchy and the discounts will listen only to government. Regulation is an institution that will function when there is privatization. Privatization has been a non-starter except in Delhi and, you know, now Orissa. So we are regulating government-owned discounts, which is an oxymoron. You cannot have regulator and a government, you know, contradictory two masters trying to govern the sector. That's not going to happen. I think what we need now is selective privatization. At least one distribution company in each state has to be privatized. There are three models of privatization. One is a PPP model, private-public partnership. The other one is a distribution franchisee. Third one is outright privatization. Many years ago, we privatized Delhi Electrics, three companies in Delhi, and there was some hand-holding by the government. Now, you know, the Kejriwal government is completely free of having to uh, handhold the discoms in Delhi. One is run by Tata, the other two are by Reliance, and they are profitable by themselves. So it might be a good idea to handhold for some time and privatize using any model. In Orissa, Feedback Ventures is now taken over the uh, discoms. The earlier privatization was a huge failure. AES took over and ran away. Then after that, the government again took back the discoms. Now they've managed to privatize. We should try privatizing because if you want, either you knock off regulation or you knock off government ownership. You cannot have both together. It doesn't work. They are oxymorons. That is, I think, where all the problem lies. So, okay, so you said you privatize, uh, privatizing discom is one uh, one positive way out. So, this whole uh, distribution sub-licensing model now, isn't that also a form of privatization? I mean, some, some critics have compared what this bill seeks to do with regard to power distribution uh, to the telecom sector where people can subscribe to Airtel or Vodafone or whatever. And, and this analogy is being applied uh, to the power sector to explain what this amendment bill is trying to do. Now, can you talk a little bit about how whether this kind of privatization is, is a good idea? And No, no, this is not privatization. What they are now envisaging is uh, separation of uh, carriage from content. That is, the wires will be separate and the commodity that passes through the wires, namely electricity or electrons, that will be separate, which is what happened in telecom. But telecom 
is a different ball game altogether because in telecom you don't have lines running into every household you had wireless in the local loop you have these uh, towers uh, here and there and from there it is beamed wirelessly so you can have multiple operators using that whereas here you know this is called network it's classic network infrastructure like drainage water supply electricity railway lines roads these are all network physical network infrastructure the line has to go into every household this is you know that's why it's called monopoly natural monopoly this cannot be shared by many people it is not possible to have many people using these lines to supply the final commodity you have only one water line only one water company will be supplying water to you you have only one drainage line going out of your house you have you know you cannot have multiple operators taking your drainage out you know so that is an unworkable model these are natural monopolies by inviting many people and separating carriage from content what you are doing as i pointed out right at the beginning you are encouraging cherry picking if it is feasible at all you are going to encourage cherry picking now if i am the best com i am the owner of the distribution lines why would i open up my line when i've lost my good customers you've taken away you grabbed my industrial customer commercial customer why would i open up my line just because you're going to pay me wheeling charges and i would obstruct so now there are penalties for obstruction but who's going to gauge that there are many ways in which you can do that it's it's going to be very complex a challenging for anybody to prove that i've deliberately not made available my line So why is this being attempted in the first place? If it's so difficult, uh, I mean, you said it's a completely different kind of infrastructure. It's a network infrastructure. It's not like mobile telephony, and the existing discoms are not going to sit back and you know allow you to take uh, whatever you want, do this cherry picking. So why are they being? Uh, why is this being attempted in the first place? I think we are now driven to desperation. Anything, you know. Right at the beginning, we um, started putting in place uh, our 2003 Electricity Act only at the behest of uh, World Bank and multilateral institutions, and according to their design. Now there is push from them again for us to separate separate carriage from content, and uh, it's not going to work on the ground. Again, we are set up for failure. This is a non-starter in my view, you know, and it's. I I don't think it will take off. Probably the parliamentary standing committee will come up with some constructive recommendations, setting aside these problematic provisions. Does India's power sector, as of today, have a situation of excess supply when compared to demand? Yeah, but you know that is not something fixed because now we had coal shortage and we we've had to go for massive import of coal. So that situation could change. Yes, we do have surplus uh, capacity now, um, but you know during the day because you have solar and uh, wind and so on, you seem to have a lot of power. But then when all these go down, the renewables go down, uh, you might be tightly matched. so i and anyway we are a growing country we are aspirational country and therefore uh, power demand will go up i won't say we are in a great surplus situation at the moment right and how is this electricity amendment bill uh, going to impact uh, power tariffs i mean is it like uh, more or less guaranteed that the tariffs are going to go up Yeah, sure. It says um, you know progressive reduction of cross subsidy. It says um, you know cost to supply. Um, you will have to price at cost to supply and so on. So naturally, tariffs will go up. Uh, you know, right now, power purchase costs are eighty five percent of the final bill you and I pay. Up to eighty five percent. Most cases, it's eighty percent, seventy five percent. It's the biggest chunk of your power bill. 
Now, unless you tackle that, the distribution uh, costs are minimal. Unless you tackle per purchase costs, your bills are not going to go down. And you're stuck with 30 or per purchase agreements. So you have to, you know, take power or whether you take power or not, you still have to pay the idling fixed charges. You will have to move away from that system to a more market system where you have day ahead bidding and so on, which is what is there in uh, Europe. Whether that is feasible at this point, we don't know. Then what do you do with all these purchase agreements? How do you grandfather them? Why are you still, even today, yesterday, you were signing 30-year purchase agreements? We have to move away from this system. Plus, uh, you know, companies like with the two-part tariff policy was uh, put in place in 92. At that time, you were giving 16% post-tax return on equity to investors coming forth to set up generating plants. Same 16% now. You know, not only you're stuck for 30 years for with any contract you signed in the intervening years, even now when you're signing a new contract, you're stuck with the same 16% return on equity. This is ridiculous. The bank rates have gone down so drastically. Why aren't you fixing it to your interbank rate and make it floating? Instead, NTPC is growing fat on this huge return on equity it is enjoying. That is why the central sector generating units are adding capacity at a furious rate and uh, you know this is not going to work this kind of uh, returns you cannot give and expect your uh, discom to survive you need to if you are really interested in the financial health of the discoms you need to move away from this long-term purchase contracts which offer such over generous incentives make them more realistic try and have some, you know, short-term, say, 10-year uh, What is the model in Europe to refer to instead of this uh, long-term power purchase agreement? You said something like day-ahead bidding. All generators bid a day-ahead uh, at what price they are still willing to sell. And uh, the discounts buy from them. Whoever bids the highest price, the price gets fixed at that. And everybody gets that price. So they buy from there. You know, so that is working for them. We may not be able to trans transition to that so easily. It's it's a very challenging thing. But at least part of your power procurement should be on shorter term power purchase agreements, maybe 10 years at a realistic rate of return, not the current 16%, 15.5% and so on. What would be a realistic rate of? Uh, your bank rate, whatever, what interest are you getting on your deposits? You know, that should be the rate. It You cannot pay more than that. Maybe 7%, 8%. I don't know. I mean, I'm no expert to decide what should be the percentage. Certainly, it will be half of what we are giving currently. So, you need to bring it down to realistic levels so that you're not, you know, they're not getting extortionate power generation uh, prices, the generating units. And you need to make the term of the contract shorter. And you need to have part of the power from the market and part from long-term contracts. And it's a very, very challenging sector right now to uh, govern. But they, uh, there are solutions and we need to try them. And privatizing is good because, as I said, private uh, discoms also are saddled with the same kind of policies, but they're still making profit. Maybe we have something to learn from them, whether it is CAC is making 99 paisa per unit, you know, and um, the others are making 60 paisa, 70, any private discom you take. They are uh, making profits, whereas the state discoms are making losses. Uh, see, yeah, the average uh, ARR ACS, that is average revenue realized and the cost to supply, India, it is a loss of 30 paisa. 
for every unit you supply, you are making a loss of 30 paisa. This is all India average. Delhi is making a profit of 61 paisa. CSE Calcutta is making a profit of 99 paisa. Noida Power is making 69 paisa. So how are they making profits when they are subject to the same policies as um, state discounts? So we need to take a leaf out of uh, their book. We need to try privatization, see if it works, not wholesale privatization. Privatize one discom in every state. In Karnataka, there are five, six discoms. Privatize one of them and see how it works. And there are three models of uh, privatization. Use whatever is appropriate to your discom and uh, try it because I don't think the state can bear the, continue to bear the burden of electricity companies any longer. Right. One other aspect uh, which I forgot to uh, sort of bring it in earlier was uh, was the whole opposition and, and the point of view of the power sector unions. What do you think of their uh, their concerns here? Because I'm not sure they would go along with this whole privatization kind of an approach. You know, electricity is fundamental to uh, our lives. It's it's uh, the driver of the economy and we cannot function without it. So, um I think we need to take the opposition along. We need to persuade them that on an experimental basis, we are going to privatize some and see how it works and then make them benchmarks for state discounts to follow. We need to have some, you know, really radical reforms or do away with this regulation business. Regulation is not working. Regulators are, have become post boxes where they just, you know, discounts go and tell them this is the money I need because I'm going to buy this much power. I've already got 30 year power purchase agreements and this is how much I'm going to supply and this is the tariff I need. And the regulator says, no, no, I can't give you that tariff. I'll give you a little less minus X I'll give you. And then the state is supposed to provide the subsidy. Many state governments don't have the money to provide subsidy. So where are we headed? I think we need to talk to sit down and talk to the unions, talk to the opposition and try out some model of privatization on a, an experimental scale to see if it works. Right. Thank you so much, Sudha. I think that was very comprehensive uh, kind of an explanation. You've laid it out beautifully. The entire uh, scenario in terms of what's working, what's not working. And hopefully the standing committee uh, will come up with the right kind of inputs and recommendations so that uh, India gets the kind of power sector it deserves. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you, Sampat. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.